Grace and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. For 40 days, Jesus appeared to his disciples in his glorified, resurrected body. It had been quite a roller coaster. There was hope on Palm Sunday with Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. There was the uh, horrible events on Good Friday. There was the exuberant joy on Easter. And then there was this growing confidence with each of Jesus' uh, appearances to his disciples after the resurrection. The disciples were just sort of starting to figure out uh, what this resurrection of Jesus would have meant for them. This was their, their sort of new North Star, the animating force in their life's work. But whatever normalcy the disciples were starting to establish in these 40 days, whatever future they were envisioning, it was all about to be ascended. For that is what Jesus does. That is where he goes. He is ascended into heaven. The time has come for Jesus to display his complete mastery and lordship over all things. No uh, law of the universe is outside of Christ's reign. Not the law of death, not even the law of gravity. So Jesus ascends into heaven. And today we profess that he is bodily alive in a place that we can only imagine. We say that he sits at the right hand of the Father, but really that is just symbolic language. So, Jesus is gone again. Now, far better to be gone in such glory than via death on a cross, but still, he was gone. And so the disciples had to ask once again, what now? What do we do now that Jesus has left us? Well, eventually the disciples, we know, got to work. Whatever they thought, they did not come to believe that just because Jesus was ascended that they had nothing to do. Quite the contrary. But there was this 10-day period between the ascension of Jesus and the giving of the Spirit on Pentecost that were likely perplexing days. Jesus was gone, but the Spirit had not yet been sent. The apostles found themselves alone. We can also find ourselves alone, or at least it can feel that way. We wonder, where is Jesus in the midst of this awful time? The examples of such awful times abound. Consider corruption in the church. A report recently released by the Southern Baptist Convention speaks of many misdeeds among church leaders and pastors. This comes on the heels of decades' worth of scandals in the Roman Catholic Church where we now know that abuse was systematically covered up, not to mention the historic abuses that gave rise to the Reformation in the first place. Certainly the public and even many Christians will ask, why has Jesus left this place of all places? And that is within the church. In the world, we see even more terrors. Mass shootings devastate communities and our sense of safety. 
it becomes increasingly obvious that something has changed in our society as these events become more frequent. I won't pontificate as to what that might be, but certainly these are moments when we might be tempted to ask, where is Jesus? In Ukraine, we see two purportedly Christian nations at war. War is bad enough among non-Christians, but national allegiances are usurping Christian friendship. The world sees the Ukrainian and Russian Orthodox churches at enmity, and it is not wrong to ask, where is Jesus? Now, most of us with a mature faith understand that it is not the responsibility of God to create for us a utopian existence. He did that once in Eden, and he will do it once again after the resurrection. But between now and then, we live in this fallen world. We do not blame God when we should rightly blame sinful men. Still, in our heartache and anger and frustration, even maturity can go out the window. It seems like God has left us here on our own without the adequate tools to combat evil. It seems like God just doesn't care. So let us think this through, this question of whether Jesus has indeed left us, that Jesus' ascension is God's way of saying, ta-ta, nice knowing you, good luck with all of that greed and avarice and violence and lust that you're now stuck with. Or let us ask whether the ascension of Jesus is actually a necessary component of God's victory over evil and actually the path to peace itself. Well, we first must consider the alternative to Jesus' ascension. Jesus leaving, you see, empowered the disciples to spread the gospel to the entire world. The revelation of God would no longer be uh, content to stay among this small group of people in this one part of the world. Were Jesus to stay and live forever in Jerusalem, well, that work never would have gotten off the ground. Jesus would have become little more than a, a celebrity or even an idol. I can just imagine people uh, charging tickets uh, to, to go in and see the resurrected Jesus. Don't think we would be above it. No resurrected man, and to be clear, he is the only resurrected man in all of history, uh, could have maintained his presence among us mere mortals. He doesn't even stay with the disciples the whole 40 days. He makes appearances. That's why we call them appearances. He, he comes and then he goes quickly. We would like to think that if Jesus were still with us, that maybe things would be better. But the truth is that we would corrupt even that. The only thing worse than Jesus leaving would be his staying. What else might we say? Well, how about that we have actually been given tools to offer this broken and hurting world? I can think of at least seven things that Christians possess to speak to this question of Jesus' departure and whether Jesus has just abandoned us. 
First, we have Jesus' teachings. Now, that may not sound like a lot in the face of tragedy, but I ask, is it not the case that in all forms of teaching, there comes a time when the teacher must leave and the student must become the master? I mean, are any of you followed around at work all day by your college professors, right? And do Jesus' teachings not lead to peace? As one of my college professors would say, when all else fails, read the instructions. That they are ours for us to know and to love is a real blessing to the world. So we have Jesus' teachings. Second, we have a commission. We call it the Great Commission. Jesus quite literally instructs us, commands us, invites us to teach what he has taught us. Lest we ever get lazy or believe that it is optional, we have permission to carry on without Jesus. In fact, that was the plan the entire time. So no excuse there. Third, we have the Holy Spirit. We live in this post-Pentecost world. The Spirit guides us to do what is right in our decision-making, in our choices. Jesus promises an advocate and a helper in the Spirit of God, and that is exactly what we have. Lord, have mercy on those who do not avail themselves to the Holy Spirit. Fourth, we have leadership. Uh, God has appointed that his church would not be bereft of pastors and elders and deacons and bishops. Now, true, some are one-talent men and some are ten-talent men. So I'm sorry, you, you get what you get, uh, as we tell our children. But God does indeed provide leadership. They are not always uh, good. You know, There needs to be systems of accountability uh, in place, uh, which is why... Uh, a council or an elder system rather than a, a priestly office is, I think, uh, what Jesus commands, but that may be for another day. Fifth, we have provision. You know, it's so easy for us to take the provision of God for granted, but God has provided us all the resources we need to thrive. Whether we employ them or how we employ them is another question, but we do have provision from God. Six, we have the sacraments. Uh, for us, baptism and the Lord's Supper have been maintained precisely because we believe that in these sacraments, Jesus comes to us. This is why it was so important for Luther to maintain the truly supernatural character of the sacraments rather than boiling them down to mere practicality. That was his debate with other reformers. <clears throat> This is not just any meal. This is a meal where Jesus says, this is my body, and this, uh, this is the blood of the new covenant. And as quoted in the small catechism, Paul writes in Titus 3 about baptism this, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now we take that 
a language of washing of regeneration and the giving of the Spirit to be a reference to baptism. And then finally, we have each other. Yes, we have been gathered into a community of believers, local and distant, so we are never alone. And so these are all things that, even though Jesus has been ascended into heaven, we still possess. Uh, there, there may be many more things that I'm not including. I've tried to keep it. You know, seven's a good biblical number, so I stopped there. But, you know, the question must also be asked when we are tempted to ask if Jesus has left us, if we have left God. I don't want to cheaply or emotionally appeal to the death of God and culture, to the loss of God in public schools, or to the embracing of false and hopeless religions. But so long as we choose and celebrate willful ignorance of God's character and person and law and gospel, I hate to say it, but we will only see more and more cruelty. Every one of us is called to repent and turn to Christ so that the barbarity that surrounds us need not continue. But no, we have not been abandoned by Christ. Quite the contrary. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he was declaring that absolutely nothing would keep him from finishing his work of complete and total victory over death and the devil. And for those who trust in Christ, they will see that victory realized when they meet Christ again. Now, sadly, those who have died in battle or by other means of senseless violence, that meeting has come too soon. And yet victory was had by Christ because he was resurrected and he ascended into heaven. Thanks be to God. Amen.